Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 277. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. If this is your first time joining us here, joining me here, Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope to bring you great information, great stories, some good motivation, great motivation every week here on the Pre-Med Years. And the best way to make sure that you get these podcasts every week is to subscribe. Subscribe on your Android phone, subscribe on your iOS device, subscribe on your Microsoft device if you have one of those, Windows phones. Whatever you have, subscribe on your device so that you get this podcast for free every week without missing a week. You may look at a title and you may think to yourself, I can't learn anything from that episode. But trust me, you probably can. So tune in every week. Don't miss a single episode. This week, I have a great story, another success story of a pre-med student who got into medical school on her first try after not doing very well in undergrad more specifically, not doing well on the MCAT. So she's one of those success stories where you go, I guess I don't have to be a perfect student to get in. She found a school that matched what she was interested in. She allowed her goals to overcome her fears. One of the quotes that she said in this, which was so good that I actually wrote it down while we were recording, which I rarely do, she said, my goal was more important than my fear. So if you're in one of those situations where you fear something, and you don't think you can do this, this is an episode for you. So let's join Holly and say hello and hear her story. Holly, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I want to start by congratulating you on your acceptance and upcoming matriculation into medical school. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm very excited. So you're matriculating into medical school. When did you yeah. realize that that was the path that, that you wanted to go on? Yeah, it took me a little bit to actually realize that um, when I was younger, I didn't actually even, it didn't compute to me that going into medicine, becoming a doctor was like an option for somebody from where I came from. And so, you know, growing up, I didn't really have a whole lot of aspirations. I didn't really like think, oh, I'm going to be a doctor someday. Um, it wasn't really until like high school 
Um, I got a job, was working full-time while trying to finish up my degree, and I was working as a caregiver. And that was kind of the first uh, introduction I got to patient care. Mm-hmm. And that's when I just kind of fell in love with patient care. But um, I always felt really frustrated by like a, the lack of knowledge that I had and stuff. And a couple of years into the working world, I decided to go back to school and thought I'd go become something in healthcare. I was like, maybe I'll be a sonographer. Maybe I'll do pharmacy tech. And then as I started getting into the sciences, realized how much I love the sciences and kind of blossomed from there. And um, I actually have a friend who's an ED doctor and she kind of asked me at one point, was like, do you want to be a pharmacist? Cause that's the track that I was at at that point. And I was like, I don't know. I think I definitely miss that patient care. And she's like, why don't you just go full board pre-med? And I was like, the thought had never occurred to me before. Well, why, why hadn't it? So you, you had mentioned that, uh, somebody from where I'm from, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, most like a lot of the, so I grew up in an area that I grew up in a trailer park in a rural area outside of Portland. And it just didn't seem like something that somebody from my neighborhood did. You know, we were pretty uh, low socioeconomic status growing up. And it was a lot of people from my area kind of ended up in, in different, different places. Not many people that I know ended up going to college. Not many people that I know, ended up like having those bigger career aspirations and things like that. Um, so it was just kind of, it just never really occurred to me that that was an option. Yeah. Why do you think after you were doing this uh, home health aid kind of stuff and, and you're like, oh, this patient care thing is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it took you so long to realize that that was something that maybe you wanted to do? a couple months into having that job actually I ended up getting pregnant with my son and it just, you know, it was just another thing um, that I kind of felt like not really got in my way, but just was holding me back from pursuing any sort of big career. Um, So I was kind of thinking that um, I wanted to, I wanted to do something different, but I didn't think I could go full board doctor because I didn't think that I would have the time to do that, raising a son and all, all of the things that go along with that. At what point did you say, I, I think I can do this with a kid? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really, it's weird. Um, so my point where I hit where I decided I'm going to go back to school was I was working as a cashier at um, a Fred Meyers, which is like a kind of local grocery store that we have up here. And I just, one day I was just like, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And if I don't get up and do something now, that's what I'm going to end up doing. I have to just get up and do something different. And so um, that week I ended up just quitting my job and kind of taking a risk and registering for school and started um, classes in the summertime. And the classes that I was taking then were accelerated classes and Um, so it was instead of taking it over the 10 week quarter, you would take them over five weeks and I ended up doing pretty decent and kind of gaining a little bit of confidence. Like, Oh, I can do this. And I was making it work with my schedule and 
it, it just didn't seem as hard once I kind of jumped in and realized like, oh, I, I can manage my time. I can do this. How do you quit your job and then <laughs> have money to live? Was, is there somebody else helping support you and your, and your kid? Yeah, at the time I had moved back in with my mom um, and I also had my husband. Uh, we weren't married at the time, but he was also pretty supportive and he was working at that time to kind of help pay the bills and things like that while we were, while I decided to go back to school. How, did, how does that conversation go with him? <laughs> I am very, very lucky in that my husband is 100% supportive of my career goals. I mean, I don't know if I could have, I, I know that I could have probably gotten through all this without him, but he has definitely been a huge rock for me and a huge support in my journey so far. Um, every time I would freak out after an exam thinking, oh, my grades are going down the drain and I'm never going to be a doctor because I failed this organic chemistry quiz or whatever. He was always right there next to me just saying, you've got this. You're too hard on yourself. One test isn't going to be the end of everything. How did you figure out what you need to do once you decided this this was what you wanted to do? Um, that was a little bit of a struggle. So um, one of the things, one of the rocks that I hit, I think, along my way um, was when I decided to sign up for classes, I, I signed up at a, at a community college. And one of the first things that the, they make you do is talk with an advisor before you even take classes. And at that time, I was still pre-pharmacy. And one of the first things that that advisor told me was that, I needed to think of a different career path because there was no way I was going to be able to accomplish this because I have a family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It hurts. It hurts me so much. It's terrible. Oh. So, you know, I at first took that to heart a little bit oh. and uh, my husband, cause he wasn't, he was there with me was, he was of course like angry about it and was just like, how dare she say that to you? And that's, that's just ridiculous. And so um, I didn't get a whole lot of help from that advisor. It wasn't until, um, so about a year into community college, I decided to make the switch over to pre-med, um, just having really thought out, like, I don't think I want to be a pharmacist. That doesn't feel like the right feel for me. I actually also um, shadowed with a pharmacist and realized that's not what I wanted to do. Um, it wasn't until I got into university, which that was about three years later, that I got a pre-med advisor at um, Portland State where I was going. And um, she was amazing and she pointed me in all the right directions. And there was, um, because my, my school, Portland state that, um, I graduated from, they work really closely with the local medical school here, OHSU. So, um, they have very strict, like if you're pre-med, these are the classes that you need to take. And, um, one thing I, I loved about my advisor at Portland state is that she wasn't all about you need this GPA, otherwise don't even bother. She was very supportive and um, very aware of, no, just go for upward trends. And, you know, yeah, you may have gotten a C in this class, but you got a B plus in this one and, you know, being really supportive in that way. So my, my advisor at my college, my university was super duper helpful in pointing the right directions. And then I think it was about... A year before I graduated with my bachelor's is when I stumbled upon the podcasts. And those have been very, very helpful. Yeah, I've heard they're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what was the, your time like going through community college, going through the four-year university with a kid? 
with mm-hmm. uh, a boyfriend, husband, living at home. How did how did you handle everything that you needed to do? Yeah, it's kind of a blur. I look back on it and I'm like, I have no idea what I was doing. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that I made sure to do, and I'm not certain that this is the right path for everybody, but, and I know a lot of people don't like um, rate my professor and things like that. But one of the things that I would do is I would make sure that I was taking classes with professors that um, I've either worked with before and I know that their um, teaching style works with my learning style, or I would make sure that my schedule worked in a way that I was maybe going to school all day for the full day, but only two days a week. And then that would leave me three days out of the week to study and make sure I was staying up on my homework and doing all the things that I needed to be doing outside of there. Um, I was kind of lucky in that the college, my community college that I went to had um, a Head Start program. So I was able to like bring my son with me to school and drop him off there and like come and visit him on my lunch breaks and things like that on the days when I needed childcare, my husband was working and I was at school. So that was really helpful too. How old was your kid when you were going through this? Uh, let's see. I started community college in 2008. So he was two when I started. Okay. And how has he been through the process? He has been amazing and super duper supportive as well. I think right now he's just a little upset because we're going to have to move out of state and his friends are all here. So he's going through a big adjustment right now too. Yeah. So when you're going through this process and you're, you're taking your kid along for the ride, you quit your job and, and start school. A lot of students will wait and wait and wait and wait until the timing is perfect. But it sounds like you just jumped right in and said, Now's the time. How, how did you overcome that barrier of wanting to make sure everything was perfect and, and just going and, and doing it? It was probably one of the most terrifying decisions I have ever made in my life. And those who know me know I don't tend to just jump into things. I'm, a, I'm planful. I have to think out all the different scenarios. Um, but I think I had just hit kind of a boiling point with my current work. And it was, it was a matter of, for me, I'm going to quit this job. I'm either going to quit this job and start another one where I'm likely going to be just as unhappy, or I can quit this job and go back to school and see what I want to do and kind of feel it out and figure it out from there. And that was terrifying, but it was kind of, I was at that crossroads with the job anyways. So it just kind of pushed me. Outside of an advisor telling you don't even bother because you have a family, what was the hardest thing for you during this transition? Definitely, I would say the at least the transition from working to going to school is it's just so hard to go from getting you know you know you're working when you're you're going to work every day and you know that you're going to get a paycheck at the end of that week to kind of show for your hard work. So a little bit of like most of school is a lot of that delayed gratification where you have to put in the time. And sometimes you kind of lose sight of why you're doing it. It feels really hard and your classes are really stressful and you don't seem to have time. And there's a lot of guilt on my end that I felt, um, being away from my son a lot and things like that. And so it was hard to 
keep in mind the end game. That was the hardest part to do, but also when I was able to like have that clarity and remember like, this is what I'm doing this for in the end, I'm doing this for my family. Um, then it was kind of able to, I was able to overcome some of that difficulty, but I would say definitely keeping in mind what the long game was and time management was definitely something I had to relearn. One of the hardest things for students in your situation seems to be balancing classwork, balancing family, and then also doing all of the extracurriculars that are quote unquote needed to mm-hmm. to show med schools that you're interested in this. How did you find time for all of the extra things as well? Yeah, that's so funny. So as I as I said before, um, I had very little direction my first three years um, while I was at community college. And it took me three years to start out there. Um, I had been pretty behind in high school and because I worked full-time when I was in high school and everything like that. So like getting into everything, um, relearning how to study, and I kind of tested pretty low when I first started. Um, but I had very little direction. So it wasn't until I got into university, and I was probably about a year and a half into university when my advisor was like, so when are you going to think start thinking about doing these extracurriculars? And I kind of just looked at her with this blank expression, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> And uh, she was like, yeah, you know, find something that you're passionate about. Uh, you gonna, you're going to want to show some volunteer work and things like that. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I have to do all this on top of it. And um, so I'm, I'm going to be honest, like I found some I found some volunteer opportunities at a pre-med fair that we had at my school. And one of them was uh, the American Red Cross. And um I also am a person who donates blood pretty often, but, um, so that kind of drew me to that. But the other thing that kind of drew me to it was how flexible they were. They only had like a minimum requirement of like four hours per month. And I was like, oh, I can swing that. Like, that's something I can do. Um, and so I just kind of started out with that and kind of realized I liked it. So I stuck with it for a while. Um, and then I ended up getting pregnant with my second child about a year before I graduated from university. And that kind of put a pause in things. And um, I ended up taking a gap year. And while I was taking my gap year, that's when I got the bulk of my extracurriculars done. Um, I decided to get work with direct patient care with my degree. Um, And I've been doing that for the last two and a half years. And I think that that has been the biggest bulk of my extracurriculars. And what kind of work is that? So I did a year uh, working as a psychiatric technician for um, a local nonprofit company. I worked with, um, it was in the mental health sector. So I worked with uh, youth who were just below hospital level. Um, It's called subacute and did direct patient care with kids who were hospitalized in there. Um, And I did that for about a year. And then a job opportunity popped up at the company who I'm currently with. It's called LifeWorks Northwest. And uh, that's also another nonprofit mental health company. But this one was working directly with a child and adolescent psychiatrist as basically an MA. That's basically what my job is, although it's called a psychiatric care coordinator. Um, And so I've been doing that for the last year and a half. And that's also pretty direct patient care. I, you know, room them much in the same way that you would room somebody um, in a doctor's office, like a primary care doctor's office, taking blood pressure and weight and height and all that fun stuff. 
um, and also doing a lot of med, uh, med ca- medical case management and things like that, refill requests. So you get your your clinical experience, your extracurriculars during a gap year where you're also having another child. So you have two kids, you're taking mm-hmm. a gap year, trying to finish up uh, your prereqs, and then the MCAT comes along, this, this little four-letter word called the MCAT. The MCAT. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about the first time you realized what this thing called the MCAT was. Yeah, so I had kind of known about the MCAT and its difficulty, I I guess you would consider, um, from, you know, some of my fellow pre-meds and things like that. They were all taking their MCAT um, their junior year as, as, you know, quote unquote, you're supposed to. Um, And I was just kind of watching them (laughs) stressing out about it and... I was just like, oh gosh, I really, really didn't want to have to do that. But I was like, you know, you got to do it. And so um, I ended up not studying or even registering for my MCAT until about a year post-graduation. My decision to do that was, um, I honestly, so the second to the last year of college, I ended up getting pregnant. Um, And so I guess you would consider it my junior year, I was pregnant. I had my daughter in the summer of that year and then immediately went back to school in the fall. And pregnancy brain is a real thing. Um, I, I got good grades, but I had to try so much harder than what I was used to. Um, and so I think at that point in my life, I decided that I wasn't going to try to do the MCAT when I had so much to juggle and I was sleep deprived most of the time. Um, And there was other things uh, personally going on at that time as well. And so I was, I made the decision to take a gap year, which I was really, really stressed about because I was worried that I would have to be studying for the MCAT and I wouldn't have any, um, anything pushing me towards a date other than the date of the MCAT. And I know that I'm a person that I need, I need deadlines. um, Otherwise I will procrastinate. And so um, that decision wasn't easy to make, but it kind of just, kind of just happened that way. There was, I, at the time didn't see any other option. And so took my gap year about six months into working my job. Um, I decided to register for the MCAT and I registered at this time. I didn't know that you should register early. And so I registered and the only, the soonest date available was like May 19th or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'll take that one. And then I didn't study a whole bot, a bunch. I would study here and there, usually at like two o'clock in the morning. The shift that I was working was swing shift. And so I wouldn't get off until two or three in the morning sometimes. And then I'd try to study and then go to bed and start it all over. And that wasn't really working for me. And so um, I did take the MCAT twice. The first time um, I kind of knew I wasn't going to do very well. I tried to cram everything into about a month before I took the test, and that did not work for me, and I ended up getting a 492. Why did you do that and then? So, if you, if you um, knew it wasn't going to work, why did you do it? <laughs> I just, I think I overestimated, I definitely overestimated what I had learned in college, and I didn't take any practice tests, so I didn't really have any idea of 
what I was doing until I got in there. I would not suggest this route for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Neither would I. (laughs) We're on the same page there. Please learn, please learn from my mistakes. Um, (laughs) I, that's actually, um, how I discovered your MCAT podcast was because I had, um, what I would consider failed the MCAT the first time I took it and was just kind of like, this isn't going to work. I either need to scrounge up $2,000 and take a class or I need to just really suck it up. And I think I was just randomly searching podcasts and typed in MCAT to see if there was any like practice questions that I could take. Cause I didn't find the practice questions in the back of the, M- uh, the Kaplan books very helpful. And that's how your podcast popped up. And then that's when I learned all the things I should have learned before I took the MCAT the first time, (laughs) which was take it early and don't procrastinate studying and um, take practice tests. And so the second time I took it, I, I registered for it again. I think I ended up taking a May test date because I wanted to give myself plenty of time to study. And this time I really cracked down. I also happened to change jobs at this time too. And so I'm not sure how much of that was like, because the schedule, the schedule changed. I was working nine to four instead of, you know, one in the afternoon until two in the morning. And, uh, and I had a lot, I have a lot of, um, flexibility at my current job. And so I was able to study on my lunch breaks and I had developed a really good working relationship with the doctor that I was working for. And so that kind of kept my motivation up and he was like, no, you just, you got to study. You just got to do it because, you're never going to get here if you don't do it. And so, um, it was a lot of that. And so about two months into studying for the MCAT, I ended up having to move out of my apartment into a hotel for a little bit because they were doing some construction on my apartment. So I'm spending about a month in the hotel with two kids and my husband and my MCAT books. (laughs) (laughs) And the MCAT books are probably bigger than your kids. (laughs) <laughs> They're so heavy. Lugging those around every day was kind of <laughs> a back killer, but you know, yeah. um, in the end though, I, I still did not study as much of the content as I had wanted to by time the test date came. And I really debated pushing off that test date. And I probably should have, to be frank. Um, but it was also a matter of financially, I wasn't sure if I could afford it. And so I decided not to push off my test date. And I took it again. Um, I hadn't reviewed any of the psychology stuff because I had put that off to the last minute because I assumed because I'm, you know, I was a psychology major and I work in mental health that I didn't need to learn that as much. (laughs) Also, again, very big mistake. Please don't, please don't copy my examples. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. You said that you didn't study the material that you wanted to study. You didn't do that content review. I'm assuming, and maybe this is the wrong assumption, I'm assuming that because you listened to the MCAT podcast that you went and you created a study schedule and, and you created that calendar and you stuck to the, the, the plan. How did you, where did you go wrong in all of that planning? Um, living in the hotel definitely set me off and not, by quite a bit, by about a month. Um, and so that I had a really hard time finding any sort of quiet (laughs) when that was going on um, to be able to study. And I kind of used it as an excuse to be frank, but um, 
I think that, yeah, because I had created a study plan. I had it, you know, pinned up on my wall and I was doing really well about sticking with it until about that point. And then I had gotten kind of behind and then decided that I was going to focus on the areas that I struggle with the most, which happened to be physics and chemistry. And so, um, I, I, I am the weird person that loved organic chemistry, but general chemistry was like a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I focused a little bit more on that. I focused a little bit more on biology since there's a bigger chunk of it on the, on the MCAT. Cause I mean, every section has a little bit of biology in it. Um, and I focused on those in my car section because the first time I had taken it, uh, my car section was pretty low and my bio section was pretty low. And so I, I kind of try to just start like smart study instead of bulk study. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, I still didn't get the um, score I was hoping for. There were multiple things that went into it. Um, I had gotten off track from my study schedule and then about two weeks before the test, um, some things were going on with my mom's health. And then right before the test, I found out that my mom had pretty severe COPD. And that was really bugging me when I went in there. So um, that was kind of on my mind. I ended up running out of time on the first section. Um, and so my score wasn't what I wanted it to be even the second time I took it. And but I was like, you know what? It's high enough where I'm going to apply. I'm just going to try. Did you have a conversation uh, with your advisor about that? I did because I had emailed her um, when I got my scores back and was like, I'm so devastated. They're not where they need to be. But I mean, you kind of have a feeling for it when you leave the test, you know, I mean, you don't always know how you're, how you did, but you kind of can have a feel for, I know I could have done better. And so that's how I left feeling. I was like, I knew I could have done better if I would have just been able to focus a little bit more, but, um, had a conversation with her and she was pretty supportive and told me, you know, if, if you want to apply, apply. And the only person that's going to tell you no is like, they can either tell you no, or they can tell you yes, but the very least you got to try and <laughs> or they can tell you maybe happy. by putting you on a wait list <laughs> or they can tell you maybe yeah. which a lot of them like to tell you maybe but yeah. um <laughs> so i decided to apply after that and um yeah. i i didn't i didn't limit where i applied because of my mcat scores at all um because if i would have done that I, I don't think i would have applied very many places but uh because I, I had a 499 on the mcat my mm-hmm. second time around okay. um which is good. I don't recommend students pick schools based on MCAT and GPA. And so maybe my voice was in your head as you were thinking through that. It definitely was. Um, so I was picking places that I was passionate about because, um, and again, I didn't really know about secondaries until it was probably, I, I should have known about them sooner, but um, <laughs> I was picking places that I was passionate about and that I thought that my personal statement would resonate with and so that's why i would you know was picking places that i wanted to go to that fit my personality um and then i also applied to a couple like yeah probably not gonna get in there but i'm gonna try anyways um because i did end up applying to mayo and stuff like that i was like yeah might as well give it a try mm-hmm. uh, didn't happen but <laughs> yeah. worst that can happen um, is they say no exactly and i mean they did and you know those first couple rejections they really sucked but uh, it only takes one acceptance, right? 
How did, how did you go about, you, you talked about your personality and making sure the school fit with that. And how did you go about doing that research to see what the school was all about and if you would fit there? Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Because you go through the MSR and they have all this information about GPA and MCAT and stuff like that. But um, so I would kind of narrow it down to like, okay, I'm not going to go to like the Harvards of the world because, you know, the quote unquote top tiers, because um, that's like a level of like self-described prestige that I don't think that my personality would fit with. Because I'm not about, like, that's not really my interest, right? I'm not really interested in going to some place that has a great reputation for being a great school, but you have to be the best of the best of the best to get into it. And so it was, I, I, I think that I see myself more as a person that's more about, I'm not about the shiny up front. I'm more about, like, what what the hard work that you put into it regardless of the outcome. And so um, I, I just kind of narrowed it down from there. And then I was looking into some schools and I do, I did find like the pre-med headquarters to be um, like a good sounding board. Cause a lot of people at that time were getting ready to apply. And so they were talking about different programs and like what they liked about them, what they didn't. Um, some of the things that I looked for in programs was like international medicine the ability to go abroad and do stuff like that. Cause it's an interest of mine. Um, and so I had found a couple of them on the pre-med headquarters and like from there would research a little bit more into the school. Like what, um, what volunteer opportunities do they offer and things like that? Um, I have, a, I'm pretty passionate about um, working with underserved populations, working with homeless populations. And so if I saw that that was something that they allowed or um, encouraged in their um, like volunteer opportunities, then that was like, okay, that would go onto my list of schools that I'd be interested in applying to. Okay. How did you go about either writing your personal statement or writing in your secondaries, talking about your family and, and saying, surprise, I have two kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sometimes wonder if I lack that, uh, that filter because I swear every job interview I've ended up talking about my kids and I don't know why that keeps just blurting out of my mouth, but it does every time. Um, <laughs> so when it came to the personal statement and I, I started out with it as I think a lot of people start out just listing all the things they've done. Right. And then get, I, you know, I'd present that to my pre-med advisor and she would just be like, don't do that. <laughs> and then you'd hear it on the, po the podcast. Don't do that. And I'm like, okay, I won't do that. And, uh, I ended up going to, it was an event from an osteopathic school that's here in Oregon. And it was a personal statement workshop. And they ended up reading out loud a couple of the personal statements from some of their, um, students who had got accepted. And one of the things that like, they all had different styles, but um, one of the things that they had said was, you know, it's, it's about you. It's your personal style. And I had um, heard one of the personal statements that was, it was kind of told more like a story. And I was like, that really resonates with me because I like to write. And so 
I would say like my 18th version of <laughs> my personal statement. I, I rewrote it so many times. I can't, that's why I struggle to remember even like what ended up making it into the final cut and what didn't. Um, and especially with, I applied at both DO schools and MD schools. So I had to cut some of that personal statement for the AMCUS yeah. or the AACOMAS. But um, I think what I originally started doing was I originally started with a story of a, a particular patient that I was working with um, at the uh, psychiatric facility, the acute psychiatric facility. And I had presented it to my pre-med advisor and she was like, this is a wonderful story, but where are you? This is all about the patient and I want to know more about you. Why are you wanting to be a doctor? Why is this relevant to you? And so I love your pre-med advisor, by the way. <laughs> she's wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful. Just that, the stuff uh, that you've told me that she's telling you, I'm like, yes, a, a pre-med advisor <laughs> that gets it. Yes, she totally gets it. And then um, actually one of the last conversations, or not the last conversations that we had, but um, on, I don't, one of the conversations that we had had when we were working on my personal statement, um, I had shared your podcast with her and she was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this. And she was super excited to share it with all of her students. Nice. But uh, she advised me to put more about it of myself. And so what I decided to do, because I had originally had the story up front and then I had added the stuff about myself, but I put it at the end and she was the one that kind of told me, no, you should put that up front. And so what I did was I started it out with, here's my story. I non-traditional student. I'm not that person that knew that they wanted to be a doctor from the get go. And then I kind of talked about what had held me back from starting my journey and then what pushed me towards being a doctor and then kind of talked about that moment where I decided that I wanted to be a doctor and then blended it, blended it in with the story about the patient, about how this shapes the kind of doctor that I want to be in that I want to be compassionate and I want to be, I want to make sure that, you know, every patient that I interact with, I treat them in the same, whether or not, whether they're attacking me or whether they're, you know, smiling at me. I just, I talked about how the, the patient care is my passion. And so it was kind of long process, but in that, when I'm talking about how, it, how I get to where I'm at from where I came from, you know, you got to mention like, yeah, I had a, I had a child when I was just barely 18 and um, I took a little bit of extra time in school and I had to work full time during school and things like that. And so it just kind of comes up mm -hmm. as part of my story because it's who I am. Did it come up in interviews? Um, no. So I did, I got two interview invites. Um, and U of A does MMI. Mm -hmm. And so, oh, actually, yes, it did come up in my interview. Um, so, you know, there's all the, I signed a non-disclosure, so I can't talk about certain things but yep. you know we all have those there are specific questions that you kind of expect to pop up like why medicine or you know what got you to this point and so I think one of them was like kind of like one of those what got you to this point and so I kind of discussed like my journey so far and in that I yeah. ended up discussing kids yeah and a lot of people listening might not realize the MMI, even though there's these stations and you get a lot of moral ethical debates, a lot of them can be very standard interview questions about tell me about yourself. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to be a doctor? Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Okay. One of, 
I was so nervous during my MMI too that, and of course the first question that pops up was one of those standard questions. And I had spent a huge bulk of my time practicing like the, the ethical questions and things like that. And so it kind of threw me for a loop when that was like the first question I got. And I was like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, chokes a little bit, but obviously you did well, right? That's, that's the the nice thing about the MMI. You can choke on one and do well on the rest and hopefully overcome that initial one. I had spent a lot of time instead of practicing what to answer for specific questions. I had spent more of my time practicing how to answer just random questions that I wasn't expecting. And so while my nerves got the best of me on that first question, it probably could have been any question in the world. It was more my nerves than anything else. By the time you get to the, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth station, you're, you're a little bit less nervous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it obviously worked. You got an acceptance to a, an out of state public school with a 499 GPA. So for those students out there who are struggling, who are questioning if they can do it, who are debating whether or not they should even apply because their stats aren't good enough and they're, they're asking themselves, what are my chances? They're asking everybody else, what are my chances? You've been through the process now. You, you have seen the success that's come from putting yourself out there. How do you... Mm-hmm. How do you, or what do you say to the student who's, who's questioning their next steps? Yeah. Um, I, I would say I questioned many of my steps, but in the end, the, my goal was more important than my fear. And so, you know, we let, I let fear hold me back from a lot of stuff. And I think that had I had more confidence in myself and what I wanted to do with my life, I would have started this process a lot sooner. Um, you know, I'm 31 and, you know, I was one of the oldest people in my interviewing group and things like that. But, you know, along the way, I doubted myself a lot, so much. And, um, but I just kept pushing forward. And I think in the end, that's, that's the most important part is it's not about, the little moments. It's not about the quiz you failed. It's not about the one C that you got or even the three C's that you got. I mean, I got C's, straight C's through general chemistry, but rocked organic chemistry and loved biochemistry. So it's not about those little things. It's about looking to that bigger picture. And I think that, you know, shadowing and um, getting that clinical experience has been a huge piece of um, helping me push forward because it just reminds you, this is what I want. This is my end goal is working with patients, being a doctor, you know? Um, And so keeping that end goal in mind and just keep pushing forward. Cause if this is what you want, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest person or not. It's all about the hard work. Just keep working. Um, Even if you can break it down, like what I did was break it down into smaller obtainable goals. So I'm going to just get my associate's degree. And then once I accomplish that, yay. Okay. Now I'm going to get my bachelor's degree. And then it was, okay, now I'm going to do the MCAT. And yeah, I failed it the first time. And I kind of didn't do great the second time, but I applied anyways. And in the end, if you don't try, that's an automatic no. But if you do try, there's a chance. And even if it's a small chance, it's worth it. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Holly 
pre-med success story. She will be starting medical school here in the fall after her first application cycle was a success. If you think you have a great success story that you want shared on this podcast, let me know, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Or if you know somebody, maybe brother, sister, friend who's a medical student who you know has overcome some sort of obstacles. If you know a physician that's overcome some obstacles, let me know. And actually one specific request that I have right now is if you know any dreamers out there in medical school, if you know any dreamers out there as that are working as physicians, let me know. I've had a lot of requests recently for uh, dreamers because of all the DACA issues going on in the government. And I'd love to talk to a dreamer about their path to medical school. I hope you have a great week. I hope this week was a great episode for you. I hope to see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. And don't forget to subscribe so you get these for free and you don't miss one. If you go to YouTube, you can search how to subscribe to The Pre-Med Years podcast right there. And I will show you on the device how to do it. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years podcast. <laughs>